To live an uncommon life, one needs to learn uncommon disciplines. Hey folks, this is Mark Devine. Welcome back to the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for your time today. I'm going to get right into it with my very cool guest, Angela Duckworth, who you may have heard about as an expert on grit. So Angela, thanks for being here. Angela is a, a PhD in psychology, University of Pennsylvania. She has her own nonprofit that she's founded and she directs called the Character Lab, focusing on character development for youth. Super excited to talk about that. She's the author of a book titled Grit, Something Seals Know About. The Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And um, I've watched her TED Talk and it's been viewed over 20 million times. That's pretty cool, Angela. I mean, did you expect that when you gave that TED Talk? I think there are lots of kids all around the world who have been forced to watch my TED Talk. Uh, and I would like <laughs> to formally apologize to each and every one of them. Hilarious. Right. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. That's hilarious. So let's get... Um, first, give us a sense of your background, where you're from, how you got interested in this topic, and um, you know your sense of Angela and you know your place in the world. Just to ground us. I in. yeah, no, I'd love to do that. I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is exit four off of the New Jersey Turnpike, <laughs> uh, in Southern New Jersey. I lived in New like, Jersey for a little while too, and I used to always say, so "You know what I'm talking about." I do, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, um, Southern New Jersey has the butt of a lot of jokes, but I will yeah. say that I was raised there by my parents who were immigrants from China. Mm -hmm. And my dad was very, very um, interested. I mean, I would say obsessed with achievement. And he, I think, gave me a legacy of, you know, asking this question, who's successful in life mm -hmm. and who is really successful in life? Um, so I think that's um, the kind of long story of like how I got interested in this topic. I am a research psychologist uh, who got to her career by way of being a school teacher. And so I'm also very interested oh, in how success, you know, plays out over a lifetime and, you know, what does it look like in kids? And, um, you know, in general, I'll just say this. I think what we all want is to be good people like, and li mm -hmm. live good lives for ourselves and for others. I, I think grit is part of that, not all yeah. of it. Yeah, I agree. So did you, what did you study? And did you just study like general psychology when you went to Harvard undergrad and what was your PhD in? Like, or did you, well, what did you do study yeah. grit? Funny thing is, well, they didn't have grit 101. I was going to say, is, is it a or, course? Or grit 202. <laughs> um, although I'll tell you this, I started it. I, I'm teaching for the first time a course called Grit Lab. So I guess awesome. it is grit 101. Um, right. But uh, when I was an undergraduate, no, they didn't have um, any courses in that. And also I wasn't even a psychology major. I think I took my very first real, real psychology class aside from, you know, a summer school class when I was a high school kid, like when I was in graduate school. So I was okay. a neurobiology and neuroscience major. So more like studying the brain and neurons. And, and I think it all connects, obviously. But um, this uh, interest, I think, though it had early roots, kind of um, got much more serious after I had been a teacher, because I think anybody who's trying to motivate other people, something you know a lot yes. about, um, yeah. you know, you become sort of instantly a devotee of psychology because you, True. you know, you yeah. wonder why what you're doing isn't working. 
Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. And a lot of uh, my research and kind of self-learning over the past 10 years has been in both Western and Eastern psychology because it's just, I mean, motivation and grit and resiliency and mental toughness, I mean, it's, it's, it's all there, right? You just have to study human behavior and understand how the brain works. And exactly. um, mine has been very experiential. In fact, I went through the ultimate grit lab, <laughs> U.S. Navy SEAL <laughs> training. Yeah. And, um, but I love talking to people like you who've studied it across different populations and have, you know, developed some great distinctions that have been very helpful for me. So I appreciate your work. One thing I, I kind of anecdotally is funny. Uh, when I was going through, when I was at SEAL Team 3, I heard about a study that was done at BUDS because there's always been this drive to try to figure out what makes a successful SEAL candidate so that they can kind of target those individuals, right? And then get them yeah. into the pipeline program to save money and time and to get the right person into the force. And this, they spent like several hundred thousand dollars. And whoever did this research study basically came back and said, you know what? We can't tell you who, we, we can only tell you what makes someone successful at Buzz, and that is grit. <laughs> but we can't tell you who has it and how they develop it or how it's going to show up. And the seals are like, okay, great. We could have kind of told you that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Go before you even before we sign the checks. But, um, grit. So, how would you define it? You know, I've got my ideas, but like, what would you say is grit? I'll give you a definition that actually, in a way, goes back 150 years to the very okay. first scientific study of outliers and success. So, I'll give you my definition in my words, but I'll say that there's some historical reasons to believe this is true. It's the combination of passion and perseverance sustained over a really long time. Mm -hmm. So not just a flash of, you know, enthusiasm um, mm -hmm. and a flash of hard work, but really the ability to diligently sustain a commitment to a goal and then to work toward it over years. Or, you know, really, mm -hmm. I think when you look at greatness, it's it's almost always over a lifetime, decades, yeah. if not a lifetime, exactly. So right. when I say that this goes back 150 years, it's because in the very first scientific investigation of outliers, of, of uh, super achievers, um, it was noticed that there was, quote, a combination of, of zeal, which is kind of like, I guess, your, you know, 1800s way of saying, you know, mm -hmm. passion, and then uh, the capacity for hard labor, um, said the scientist who was zeal and hard labor. I love that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, grit is one of those words that is kind of, in order to define it, you just have to bring a bunch of other bunch of words to define it, right? There's no simple explanation. Yeah. I love that. You know, we used to have a saying in the seals that everyone wants to be a frogman on a sunny day. So that's kind of like what you were saying of, you know, having a brief moment of inspiration is right. not going to cut it because you got to want to be also a frogman on the, the worst days, the most challenging days when you're down or when it's miserable outside and you got to have that same zeal, that same passion, huh? Yeah, and I think that one of the unsung aspects of heroes is that, you know, like real greatness doesn't come just on, you know, the day that gets into the highlight reel. As you know better than I do, honestly, the, the sort of like daily dedication, you know, the daily practice, mm -hmm. um, the diligence that gets um, into your bones. I mean, whether you're a, a Navy SEAL or I think what's fascinating to me is that you can see the through line 
across all of the domains of human endeavor. Um, so, you know, a, a, a true ballerina um, has this quality, uh, you know, a world-class skier. But then if you mm -hmm. say like, well, what about Nobel Prize winners? And, you know, what about, um, you know, the best actors and actresses in Hollywood? Mm -hmm. Like, what about CEOs? And I think that's what's fascinating to me is that it's true also across those very diverse human domains. Sure. Yeah, I don't think the there's any discriminating quality about what you do is how you do it. Right. And how you yeah, approach yeah. whatever it is exactly. that you're, that you're meant to do. And, you know, let's connect this to the concept of your why. Like we have this saying that, you know, if you know your why and your why is the right why, meaning it's, a, it's truly deeply connected to your calling in life and you always remember it, then it doesn't doesn't matter how hard things get or what challenges, you know, are thrown at you you're going to be able to blast through them because it's your, it's who you are, right? Yeah. Is that similar to what you're think, talking about in regards to passion, the combination of passion and per perseverance? Yeah, I'll map that onto what I know. When you interview paragons of grit, um, they will say things like, you know, what I do is who I am. There's right. such a clarity of purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the why for um, many people, actually, I'll say most, if not, um, if, if not everyone, it's, it's being part of something bigger than yourself. And I think the core mm -hmm. of that is helping other people. And right. I haven't yet met a paragon of grit whose drive comes completely selfishly to advance mm -hmm. their own personal goals. If you keep talking to them, you know, you, you see the the connections to other people. And when, when people are at the opposite end of the spectrum, they feel like, oh my gosh, I wish I had a why. I wish I had a calling, but my work is the opposite. I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually the absence of a connection to the lives of other people. Like people need to know that for me, so why is often, if not most of the time, if not always lead you to how you're affecting other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that especially as you, you know, grow and develop beyond that egocentric, which, and you see, you know, examples of purported gr great success in our society, Western culture, you know, either great financial success or even like political success or both <laughs> thinking of one example in particular, you know, who, who doesn't have a broader sense of why, and you would think they, they lack grit, but yet they continue to come out on top. How do you account for that? Well, now, when we see somebody that we we say like, well, this person clearly doesn't have a why, <laughs> you know, they have a lot of right. how, but they don't have a lot of why. That right. that is probably what we see. But but if you actually talk to that individual, should you have the pleasure, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is it is. I I will bet you five bucks that that person does feel like they have a why, and right? They do feel and they like are they serving have a broader purpose, right. and they're serving. And yeah. and I think we would just say from our perspective that they're wrong. Um, yes. You know, I am sure that some which of the greatest villains, right. which is a judgment, and you know, it, um, I I think you know if you if you look through history at the greatest heroes well they had a why but i think if you look at history at the greatest villains they had a why at least to themselves mm -hmm. um, a justification and they had a purpose that they probably thought was noble and probably in their minds did help others in some way that you know we may profoundly disagree with yeah that's right it really is in the eye of the, of the beholder right this exactly. idea of why like or maybe in the, the same eye of the beholder <laughs> like, the whole yes singular yeah, like one yeah. man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist kind of thing right They're, they both have their strong reason and passion fueling their their behaviors but you know from our perspective terrorism is anathema and from their perspective they're fighting for something important right 
for, for the fun. And that is why I think character, when you when we think about um, who we want to be and how we want to show up in the world, isn't just grit. And I and I say that with real urgency. I mean, I've got mm-hmm. two uh, girls at home. They're 18 and 16 years old. And if you ask me, like, well, is your dream that they just grow up to be 100% gritty? And I say, mm-hmm. you know, no, because, like, it's really important that um, – that their character include honesty and humility right. and empathy, for example, um, mm-hmm. curiosity, et cetera. And when you think about that kind of person, you know, it's hard to imagine that if they really embodied those other character strengths, that they would be villains. So I think our our heroes are not just gritty. There, there are many things. And I think at the root of, you know, character are, are, are things that are, are not just grit. I agree with that. Yeah. So, so being a good person is a combination of being and doing, you know, Things that are lead to goodness as well, and not you know mm-hmm. evil or yeah. or and not just greatness, <laughs> yeah, or not just yeah. greatness exactly. Yeah. So, how did you like? Who did you study to come to your insights and conclusions? I mean, did you was it were the students that you started with? Has it gone beyond that, or give us a sense for your kind of population you studied and some of the big ahas that came out of your actual academic research. I'll tell you about one study that I just published because it was done at West Point, and I know mm. that there's <laughs> a friendly rivalry between, uh, you know, Army Navy. But um, yeah. great uh, institution, I, though, by the way, for leadership development. Yeah, I think a lot of respect too, right? So it's definitely it's an institution which, as you know, and like many of the things that you um, are involved in, is like highly selective. And mm-hmm. at West Point, there's still attrition, right? Mm-hmm. So even though it's incredibly hard to get into, people drop out, and of course, some people drop out for the right reasons. Um, right. not not a good fit, don't want to dedicate five years to the military. But I studied grit at West Point so that I could understand perhaps its relationship to dropping out very early, you know, arguably before you've had a chance to really evaluate what West Point could be for you on its own merits. So right. we looked at the first summer of training, in particular, it's the highest attrition period at West Point. And we found in 10 years of data, because I've been working quite closely with West Point leadership over now more than a decade and a half, um, but in 10 years, we could actually follow a cohort not only once, but 10 times all the way through their four years of and, until graduation. And what we found is that grit is the best predictor West Point has of staying in the program during those huh. early training days when so many people right. are dropping out. Cognitive ability and physical ability are not predictive of um, staying in the program during that high attrition period. Well, you've got to have cognitive and physical ability just to get into West Point. And so everyone's already- That's right. I think, <laughs> I think if you just took a random sample of people at the you know, DMV renewing their licenses right. and you put them through West Point or you know, yeah, Bud's training, like, you, know, you, you would find <laughs> right. physical ability and cognitive ability mattered a lot, but it's already so selective. And I just think that underscores the point that there are circumstances in life where we feel like dropping out and it may feel like, you know, we don't have what it takes, but we, we do. I mean, every mm-hmm. cadet that is admitted to West Point can finish the program. Right. But as one, you know, higher up put it to me, it may be for the first time in their lives that they're actually below average and really struggling. And I think for many of these superstars who are coming Mm -hmm. in at 18, they were captain of the football team. Mm -hmm. They were valedictorian. They probably were prom king along with Mm -hmm. all that. And now they're, you know, the bottom half of a group that that may be, you know, more challenging than the physical challenges or the, you know, you know, wake up at five, you know, drill till 11 kind of routine. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And this is uh, one of the big things we saw in SEAL training or see is that 
those individuals who are the all-stars, if they can't find humility really quickly, then often they fail. They're often the first to ring out, so yeah. to speak. And that kind of, you know, fragile. also, yeah, they're fragile. And, you know, so how, do, you know, what's your perspective on whether these individuals come to West Point with a sense of grit that they've developed or inherited, so to speak, or whether it's developed and forged, you know, through the training itself? I, I think it's got to be both, right? So, mm-hmm. the, you know, grit is something like anything else, it's, you know, it's, it is influenced by our DNA. Um, yes. So if you think, you know, that it's all nurture, it's all experience, like you're wrong. I mean, you know, you have a genetic disposition mm-hmm. one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's part of what you get when these 18-year-olds enter. But also their experiences, um, you know, before and after they actually set foot on on the campus of West Point. I think the part where it is so um, important not to forget um, as, as leaders, the part where your grit can develop based on, you know, your mentoring w- while, while mm-hmm. you're there, you know, trying to do this hard thing. You know, Robert Caslin um, was, um, he's a recently retired, but he was the superintendent um, at West Point for, you know, much of the time that I was there studying these cadets. And, you know, he was very firmly of the mind that a great leader has a developmental mindset. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, what does that mean? He said, well, you could either have an attrition mindset or a developmental mindset as a leader. Attrition mindset says, you know, you're gritty or not um, by the time we get you. And I just have to like winnow out the week. And then mm-hmm. through attrition, I'll just have a really gritty group at the end. He said, mm-hmm. I'm a developmental leader. And that means that I believe that I can grow your grit mm-hmm. and your character. And I think for me, you know, it's that mindset that is probably much more adaptive and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not that Robert Caslin didn't understand that, you know, people have genetic dispositions or, you know, cadets are starting at different places when they set foot. But he would tell me that if, you know, if there were a young cadet who was really falling behind on the kind of tests that keep you in, right? And in the old days when he went to West Point, that would have been just a a way to winnow the week. He would Mm -hmm. knock on that cadet's door in his sweatpants at five in the morning and say, like, let's go on an extra run. Like, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's that's kind of, you know. I love that because some of the best future... Yeah, the best future leaders are those ones who struggled and even failed and had a mentor like this individual you're talking about kind of give them a, a boost. And then they, yep. their perspective is different than those who kind of sail through the training just because they're the toughest or baddest asses out there. Or I they just survived the attrition. True. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, for, you know in, in my data, one thing I found so fascinating and it surprised me when I first discovered it is that when you take measures of ability, like physical athleticism or IQ, and you say, you know, what is the relationship with grit? You know, right. or maybe they go together. Maybe the people who are really able are just able in every mm-hmm. domain. But actually at West Point, for example, they're negatively correlated. Um, you know, the people for whom things come easily uh, or are gifted in some ways are a little less passionate and persevering on average um, mm. and, and I don't want to overplay that this is negative, but I just want to say like, they're not going positively together. And I know a lot of people who would just in their own experience as coaches or leaders say that when things are a struggle, you develop a kind of character and tenacity, mm-hmm. uh, right. and humility and work ethic that you might not have otherwise developed. Yeah. Which is why the school of hard knocks is probably the best school to develop grits. But you, <laughs> you propose that there's other ways that you can, you know, take, responsibility for developing your own grit. What, what would you suggest are some ways that listeners could get grittier? 
when you ask, you know, where does uh, passion and perseverance come from? I would mm -hmm. first say that passion usually comes first. And you said, um, you know, to have a why. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is so important because, you know, people sometimes get the wrong direction. They'll say mm -hmm. like, oh, I guess I should work on my work ethic and my resilience. It's like, well, if you don't have a why, if you don't have a passion, it's unlikely that you're going to develop more perseverance. So right. I'd start with passion. And I would give two recommendations. One is that I think that doing something that is of innate interest to you, yes. that you find it curious. And, you know, I think of things that I find curious, like psychology, and then there are things that I really don't find you're like investing or like <laughs> politics. Like, I right. just don't think I would be very good at that. The second recommendation on passion is to do some writing about your core values. There's an yeah. essay that I assigned to my students. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's the This I Believe essay. Mm. It's a, it's a prompt which uh, NPR came up with about 50 years ago. And it says just simply like, you know, this, I believe 500 words or less go. And, yeah. um, you know, we see what comes out of your mouth. And like, it, it was really, really powerful to say, like, is what I'm doing in my daily life aligned with my deepest values, that which I believe in, my, you know, what is my why? Um, that. So that's my recommendation. Start with passion. And then if you are feeling like you're lacking in passion, ask yourself, like, am I curious about this or can mm -hmm. I gravitate towards something more interesting? And is this aligned with my core values? Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. You know, my first career was as a certified public accountant at Coopers and Libran. <laughs> it's not place, but Arps Coopers. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Before I became a SEAL, I became, I went in the Navy as an officer at 25, turned 26 in SEAL training. In my book, The Way of the Seals, all, you know, a lot of it, early part of it is that transition. And I found, I, you know, I had to like coddle together my own path of determining what I'm passionate about and what my purpose was in life and what my, what I call my ethos was, which is my, basically what I believe in, you know, what yeah. you just talked about. And I did it as a result of getting involved in Zen meditation, believe it or not, just slowing down and sitting on the bench and meditating and contemplating and journaling and comparing and contrasting, you know, what my felt sense was or my growing self-awareness was when I was sitting in meditation and the insights I was getting versus who I was trying to be in the quote unquote real world. And it was a profound period of my life, like majorly transformative. And a lot of my practices that I've evolved have kind of come out of that period. And we, you know, we start with this whole issue of who do you think you really are? Why are you on this planet? What do you, you know, what is your archetypal purpose? You know, so your archetypal purpose is to be a teacher. And mine is to, now to be a teacher. But when I was in my 20s, I learned that it wasn't to be a merchant, you know, business person, it was to be a warrior. Mm -hmm. And the only way I could find that was by slowing down and through contemplation and meditation and, you know, feeling into it. Do you um, ascribe anything like that, like meditation, contemplation, mm -hmm. those types of practices to people to help them or your yeah, kids even I, to help them understand themselves at a deeper level? Well, I love that you started off this podcast with some deep breathing and I have studied mindfulness as a scientist and nice. I practice, I would say I practice moving meditation in the form of yoga. Yeah, um, me too. And, uh, you know, we know for sure based on science that there are Really profound changes in the way that we think and also our brain and how we function yeah. when we are in a contemplative state. Mm -hmm. So I I do I will I will rush to say though I I spend a lot of time with young people between the ages of eighteen to twenty two as a mm -hmm. college professor and some of those people are you know very reflective and they do a lot of journal writing but they haven't right. actually added to that the other ingredient you need which is life experience right so they kind of go to their dorm room and think they can think their way into what they should do next. 
in life. And I think it's this combination, this magical combination of kind of contemplative reflection and experience. Yeah, getting out and trying trying things. things. Getting out there. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's the way forward. Which is why I think it's a good idea for young people to try a lot of different things, you know, which is counterculture. People think, well, you know, you stick, get into something and stick with it, even though that's less and less likely these days, but get, try different things. You know, I think I had, and you probably did, I had like 12 or 15 different jobs in the first five years before I joined the SEALs. I I went from one thing to another. I mean, I was at Cooper's Library for two years, which is a Hmm. long time for me. And then Arthur Anderson. But yeah, you try different things. You can you can do that through imagery. In, in the scientific literature, it's called sampling. Yeah, sam. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it has a word. So anyway, so, so what you were saying about? Imagery? I was going to say one of the things that I did when I was on the Zen bench, I, I got really good at visualizing. Of course, you're spending a lot of time alone, and I, I went from fantasizing to like directed visualization, and I taught myself visualization, and I did this thing I called um, wearing the uniform. <laughs> So like I, I wanted to th- uh, consider like what would a life be like as a fighter pilot or what would a life be like as a roughneck or what would a life be like if I was with the Peace Corps? And I would just study a little bit about that domain and then I would visualize myself. I would insert myself into that world mm-hmm. and a lot of, of a lot of information would come to me and I could get a sense whether that was the right path or not for me. Even at, you know, this is 22 when I was doing this, 22 and 23. So that's so an interesting. So you try to imagine yourself like in the first person, kind of like. Correct. And now I'm waking up, and right. you know, I'm going to use this in my grit class um, on Wednesday of next week because these young people are like looking up all this information on the internet about careers, and I think they're missing what you did spontaneously without anybody telling you to. Which right. is like, okay, now you put yourself in the day. Now that live life. it and internally, right? Yeah, that's brilliant. it's powerfully because you can get an emotional sense of you know, oh, that sounds really good. Or that I feel really good about that. And you're looking for, I was looking for, I was wise enough to, to consider that the most important information coming to me was the, the feelingness, right? The sensations of what does that feel like? And, um, you know, like fighter jet first felt exciting and then it felt kind of routine to me. And I was like, no, I don't think I'm a routine kind of person. And when I, yeah. and then when I learned about the seals and I kept visualizing myself as a seal, the lack of routine and the grittiness and the, and the, um, the challenge and the risk and the leadership, the, the raw uh, personal, you know, in-person leadership really appealed to me and it felt good. Right. And so that, that kind of won out. Yeah. Anyways. With your permission, I would love to do, I'll, I'll sign up to my students and I'll, I'll, Check. I'll tell them that you told them to do it. Yeah. Let me let, tell them I said, do it or I'm going to put them, to do it. I'm going to make them do push ups. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll scare them. Just kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. I know we only have a few minutes left, but um, let's talk about your character lab. I love that you're doing this. You know, character is such an important thing. And and I think traditional schools are trying now to like figure out how do we develop mm-hmm. character. And generally it's been done on the PE, but most PE physical education has been stripped out of schools for budget problems or it's done on the wrestling mat or, you know, the football field, but not everyone gets to participate in sports. So how else can we do this? How can we develop character in kids? Character Lab is my nonprofit. It is um, it is my why, I guess you could say. And um, our mission is to advance scientific insights that help kids thrive. And I'll just give you one specific suggestion since there's not a lot of time. I think right. one of the things that educators are doing now but could do more of is to really capitalize on this idea of growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And um, it is it is the 
Carol Dweck's work. Yeah. Carol Dweck, yes, yeah. she's part of our, our network of scientists. So Great. it is the belief that your abilities can change and grow. And mm-hmm. my um, recommendation is that, you know, whether you're the PE teacher and you're trying to emphasize to students that like, you know, you don't want to think of yourself as like, oh, I'm an athlete or I'm a non-athlete, you know, I'm always going to be unfit or like always be the last one in the, you know, 600 yard dash. Mm-hmm. That's how you can, you know, work with mindset. If you're a math teacher, you can avoid, you know, always praising like the three kids who get the math problem right, right. and just kind of like apologizing to the other kids and saying, well, you know, maybe math's not for you. You can use language that says that failure is okay. You know, like when um, there's a great teacher I know named Phil Bressler, he teaches AP economics. And every time he makes a mistake on the board, he goes over to the right side and there's a little you know, sign, it says like wrestlers blunders. And he, he adds one for his mistakes. And <laughs> once he gets to a certain number of mistakes, they all have a pizza party. And oh, that's awesome. Saying, I like, love Look, that. You know, everyone it's makes okay mistakes. to fail. It's great. Yeah, yeah. We like doing it. We're like, we're doing it. And so that to me, and by the way, his students um, set records. I think he's, he, he's truly, I think maybe the most successful AP teacher in the country. Amazing. And it's that kind of modeling. It's like, it's like character that you embody as mm-hmm. um, an adult and and then these lessons that I do think young people are picking up all the time and, and thinking about that a little more intentionally, hopefully based on science. I love that. You know, that's one thing that I've worked hard with my own son um, is to model that it's okay to fail and that perfection mm-hmm. is an illusion, right? And so I yep. routinely yeah. fail in front of them and we laugh about it and we have a good old chuckle about how imperfect his dad is, but boy, is he really proud of me at the same time, you know? It's really yeah, cool. I love that you're doing. Carol would be very happy to hear that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, so where do people find the Character Lab? What's the website, and where else would you like to direct people to? Let's see, your TED Talk or to your book, those types of things. I would just direct them really to characterlab.org, uh, okay. characterlab.org, and if you go there, you can sign up. I have a free email that I send every Sunday. It's Great. one piece of actionable advice based on science. I love that. Characterlab.org. Angela, I wish we had more time, but it's been a a delight talking to you. Thanks so much for your work and keep it up. And I look forward to um, kind of watching your progress and maybe uh, seeing if you get another book come out someday. Are you going to, you have any plans for that? Uh, I don't have any plans for that, but I'll tell you what, I'll let you know how this visualization exercise goes. (laughs) And thank you for that inspiration. Yeah, please do. All right. Thanks again. Appreciate your time and uh, everything you do, Angela. Take care. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, folks. That was Angela Duckworth. Check out the characterlab.org. I recommend you get her book, Grit. What's the subtitle of the book? Oh, The Power and Passion of Perseverance. And check out her TED Talk. It's great stuff. And as usual, thanks so much for your support of the Unbeal Mind podcast. Train hard, stay focused. Hoo-yah. Till next time, Divine out. 